Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Mel. And I'm Janet. Hi, everyone, and happy October. Fall has always felt like a time for change, whether it's the excitement and uncertainty of a new school year or the change in temperature to cooler, cuddlier weather, and with change, we experience growth and also the inevitable journey of introspection. So for this month, we have chosen the theme of digging deeper with self-exploration. We've been wanting to do an episode on attachment theory for a while now. The first time I heard about this theory was pretty recently when I was in therapy. My therapist and I discussed the way we view ourselves, our self-esteem, and the way we view others, our sociability. And what was fascinating to me about attachment theory is that our parents have played a significant role on our attachment styles and how we relate to, pick, and connect with our romantic partners or close relationships as adults. So let me ask, when did you ladies first hear about attachment theory? I actually um, learned about it last year, and funnily enough, it was through a date. Um, oh. So I was, oh. yeah, I was on a date with this guy, and we were just talking about various topics. Um, and he had mentioned that, you know, kind of like a popular topic in psychology today is uh, the uh, attachment theory and how that affects like your your dating style and your dating kind of like issues. Um, so yeah, I but I haven't like actually taken the test until today. So um, excited to dig into the details. How about you, Mel? Um, honestly, I heard it probably from a listener submitted email asking us to do this topic. Mm. I feel like I've heard the word attachment, like attachment styles, like here and there, but I didn't know what it was a thing people talked about or like took tests or quizzes to figure out their style. So mm. um, today when I was like kind of taking all the quizzes, I'm like, oh, wow, this kind of seems like something I would actually ask on a, on a date too, Janet, uh, when mm. you mentioned that you went on a date and how you found it out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of just heard about it recently. For a bit of background, attachment theory was first formulated in the 60s and 70s by psychoanalyst John Balby and Mary Ainsworth, who studied the need for young children to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver for normal social and emotional development. 
With this theory, it's been observed that infants become attached to adults who are sensitive and responsive and who remain as constant caregivers between the ages of six months and two years. As children interact with these caregivers as a secure base to explore from and return to, the response from these caregivers lead to the development of patterns of attachment for the child. For example, are the parents' responses loving, caring, angry? These interactions then guide the child's thoughts, feelings, and expectations in later relationships in life. Attachment theory was extended to adult relationships in the late 1980s when psychologists noticed that interactions between adults are similar to those between children and caregivers. For example, adults feel comforted when those they are attached to are present, or they become anxious or lonely when they are absent. Or the observation that romantic relationships serve as a secure base that help people to face the surprises, opportunities, and challenges that life presents. Something that I think would be interesting for you as our listeners is to ask yourself, do I date the same kind of person over and over again? Because this might not just be a coincidence, you know? It, it could be because ever since you were a child, you've been conditioned to view yourself in a certain way in the context of your relationships to others. So today, we're going to be analyzing our personal attachment styles, and there are four main styles of attachment. One, secure attachment. Two, anxious, preoccupied attachment. Three, dismissive, avoidant attachment. And four, fearful, avoidant attachment. We took a few tests, which we'll link in our show notes, and answered questions agreeing, disagreeing to statements like, I easily develop emotional ties to others. If a partner pushes me to establish a commitment, I freak out inside. And if I'm not in a relationship, I am nobody. Essentially, these are questions that probe us to think of others and ourselves in the context of relationship and intimacy. The first test that we took is from Dr. Diane Poole-Heller, a somatic attachment and trauma expert. We like this test because it gave you percentages for each attachment style rather than concluding one style over the other. The other test that we took is from yourpersonality.net and gives you a deep dive into your attachment styles by not only looking at romantic relationships, but your relationships with your mother, father, and a friend. So to kick us off, ladies, what attachment style did you get for the first test? And were you surprised by the results? So for me, I got um, about 58% for secure attachment, and my second highest was 19% for avoidant dismissive, and the other two were like 11%. And Mm. I kind of assumed that I would actually score the highest on these two. I think just reading the definition here, uh, secure attachment is demonstrated by those possessing a pretty positive view of self and a, a positive view of others. They tend to agree with the statement that It is relatively easy for me to become emotionally close to others. I am comfortable depending on others and having others depend on me. And I don't worry about being alone or others not accepting me. Um, And this is usually because this person had a warm or responsive interaction with their caregivers and they become comfortable both with intimacy and with independence. I think the older that I've gotten, the more I've recognized how much your childhood really does impact your adult relationships. I know this is something that people talk about in therapy all the time, like what are the events in your life that you've buried and tried not to remember? For me, when I was a kid, my my family was not like rich by any means and I remember always comparing myself to other kids like homes, they had backyards, they had a lot of toys. So I think back then, I kind of wish that I had more resources available to me. But now as an adult, I I look back and and yeah, I'm like extremely thankful and um, can certainly be, you know, moved to tears when I think about how much warmth we had in our home, despite not growing up with too much. And I think now as an adult, um, I can fully see this and appreciate it. Um, And I also see it now in my relationships. The type of household that I grew up in is also the type of household that I'll want to lead in in the future with my kids, you know. 
Um, so yeah, I think this secure attachment feeling does come from the love that I had as a kid. For the avoidant dismissive part, these types of people agree with the statement that I am comfortable without close emotional relationships and I prefer not to depend on others or have others depend on me. The desire for independence often appears as an attempt to avoid attachment altogether, and they view themselves as self-sufficient and invulnerable to feelings associated with being closely attached to others. I mean, y'all know me by now. I do not like to talk about my feelings as much, and I would say that I would say that I'm someone that's very easy to get along with, but I'm also the type of person that has a very small group of close close friends. Um, I think deep down. In the core of me, I still have this somewhat like gut reaction to keep my walls up, and I've tried to figure out why that is the case. And I think maybe it stems from thinking that if people could see me at a hundred percent, it's too vulnerable of a thing for me to handle,、mm. because then I have no control over your thoughts about me, which sounds kind of crazy.、Um, mm. But I was actually talking to Philip about this recently, and he was like, "If people could see the real you." They love you too much, and I like started crying.、Aww. But like, as much as it is easy for me to get to just you know get to know people and be friends with them, but it's、um, the deeper level. I could feel in my gut that it's always been a little more difficult to get there.、Mm. So yeah, I'm not surprised that I got avoidant, dismissive,、um, and secure as my top two. Honestly, I am not surprised that you got like a high like 58 percent for secure. I think when we、mm-hmm. see you and we meet your family, they're so welcoming and loving and warm. It just it's not it, it's for me it makes sense. But I'm just also curious. It's like it seems like you you know you had a very stable, loving you know、um, household growing up. But then why do you think that maybe you're like the avoidant in terms of、like、you say you don't like to show your feelings because it seems like、mm-hmm. you were very loved for being 100 percent you growing up. Yeah no so actually when I took the second test which was the、uh, yourpersonality.net and we'll link this in our show notes but it actually shows you your attachment style to different people in your life so it shows your friend your partner your mother and your father and what was interesting is that overall I got secure my general is secure and for friend and partner is secure but then for my mom and dad I got dismissive avoidant、um, which is also something I think I kind of expected so the The questions that were asked were like, "I show this person how I feel deep down," or "I'm afraid they'll abandon me," or "Not love me as much." And for all of these, I said I disagree or strongly disagree with.、Um, I think personally, I don't like to share my deep feelings with my parents because I don't want them to worry about me so much,、mm. even though I love them like very very much. And I think also growing up in an Asian household, as warm and loving as our household was. We didn't talk about our feelings. Like I see it in my parents, and and I think these are also Eastern ideals and、mm-hmm. values that they've been taught to swallow their pride, to put forth a face that you know everything is okay, and perhaps even the idea that feelings can be perceived as weakness.、Mm-hmm. When I know now that that is not the case, right? I I very much admire people who can actually express themselves, but I think because I've been conditioned to see this throughout my childhood, I do have my walls up with my parents, and that、mm-hmm. probably has trickled into other relationships as well.、Mm-hmm. I had a very similar. Or some similarity in patterns of my second test as well, and it, that was also what my thought pattern went to is oh, but if you think culturally, like this test is written from kind of a Western cultural perspective, and for、mm-hmm. Asian people, like the、uh, you might define it differently, right? But yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, Jay. So what were your results for the first one?、Um, so I, my predominant、uh, 
uh, result was also secure, uh, but I was at 39.5%. And then my second uh, was the ambivalent anxious at 23.3%. And I actually tested the last two, which was uh, the avoidant dismissive and disorganized at equal parts 18.6%. I would say the predominance of secure, I, I wasn't surprised with. Um, mostly if you think about like, you know, they said that it's most of this is developed from what, six months to two years. And my mother was like an incredibly detailed caretaker. Like I have memories of when we were little and she would always set out like our outfits every day. She would make breakfast and like, like manually fold the tissue a certain way and place our multivitamins there. She was just so, she's like a very detail oriented person and like very clean too. And so she would like wash my sister and my, like our hair in the sink all the way up until we were like four or five versus like going into the bathtub because she wanted to get it really clean so for this reason I do think that like I was I was just paid attention to extensively um in Mm. when I was younger so I was actually very close with my mom growing up and I would say closer to my mom than my dad Um, however when I reached kind of the like later high school college and post-college years I became really close with my dad Uh, we really bonded over kind of like my academics and navigating my career Um, and so I think that might be kind of like less typical. I believe that usually a child is closer to one parent or the other pretty consistently throughout their life. And for me, I feel like I've had periods where I was, you know, my mom was a closer parent and then periods where my dad was the closer parent. So when I read um, of the uh, the other attachment style that I scored a little bit in, which was the ambivalent anxious, they describe it as ambivalently attached people have had caregivers who were on again, off again. Because of the lack of consistency, the child doubts whether their needs will be met and is on the constant lookout for cues and clues to how their behavior may or may not influence the parent's responses. Now, I never felt like I was neglected by one parent, but I did feel like I was closer to one over the other at times. So I'm not sure that that description is completely accurate. I would actually say maybe that I experienced this type of like emotional response perhaps more from social than uh, family, because I do remember from childhood having certain friendships um, where we were really close and, you know, it's like a best friend relationship and then having it end. And I think that might have happened a couple of times. So perhaps my um, testing of the ambivalence and anxiousness of this kind of like, you know, uh, lacking of consistency or, or whatnot could come from my social experiences more than it is my family experience. Mm, interesting. Yeah. For for your second test, because um, that one does differentiate your relationships between, again, your friend, partner, and your mother and father, is there a difference between uh, where your parents fall? Uh, between, with against, like, my friends or between uh, each other? Between between each other. Between, between each other. Dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, let's see. I'm looking at the results now. Um yeah, I would. It tested that I'm more close with my dad, or more mm. like our relationship. And I would say that that is just because of like later half of age. Like I just talk to him about a lot more things. Um, but it's it. But they both are still higher in the like because there's like uh, anxiety is the x-axis, and then the y is avoidant. So similarly, Helen, like you said, that your parents um, kind of more in the dismissive, which is like higher avoidance. Both mm-hmm. of my parents are a little bit higher in that area versus anxiety. Mm. So it's like, it. I think it's a little bit of the, because some of the questions were like, do you, yeah, do you like rely on them emotionally or do you share your emotions with them? And I would say I talk to my dad a lot, but still, I, I think because of the cultural thing, I, I have more of a tendency to rely emotionally on my friends than I do on my mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same, same. Yeah. How about you, Mel? 
So preparing for this episode, just to give you guys some context, I could feel myself getting really emotional just thinking about my family. Um, so as you guys are both talking about your relationship, I'm just like, something in me is just like tugging at my heart and making me a little emotional hearing all these things. Um, but for my results, um, I got, for the first test, I got 51.3% uh, for secure. I got 28.3% for anxious, 15.4% for disorganized, and 5.1% for avoidant. When I saw the results, I actually wasn't surprised either that I scored high for secure and then second was anxious because that is very my personality to be a little anxious. Um, but, you know, you both gave really great descriptions of, of you know, of both those um, uh, attachment styles. But I think for me, looking back in my childhood, um, my mom and my grandparents were really amazing caregivers to me. And I don't know if it's because I'm the firstborn of my family. Um, I'm the first cousin. I'm the oldest. I received a lot of attention from my immediate and extended family because I would go back to Taiwan a lot. So I remember like as I was the only child and baby at dinners and stuff. So I had a lot of love given to me. I think even though like I, I mentioned the previous podcast, my parents did divorce when I was four. I think my mom remarried my stepdad and like a year later. And for, despite that, I have always felt loved, you know, by him too, because I, I think I've always felt like his daughter. Um, he did things like um, when my mom and him got married, he also bought me a ring to make sure that I was also very loved. And mm-hmm. I think hearing stories about, you know, my mom would tell me he faced opposition expressing that he wanted to marry my mom because, you know, she's a single mother with a three-year-old child. And so hearing that and the fact that he did, you know, go above and beyond in his Asian dad way to show that I mattered, I think it really just played a like, significant role of me feeling like I have a very strong nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um I think for secure, it talks, it talks about how like, um, like your parents provide a safe haven with consistency and good enough care and attention and affection. And I just think about my grandma a lot because, so growing up, I spent the most time with my mother and my grandparents, my maternal grandparents. I think growing up, I knew and felt that my parents and grandparents were really proud of me. Um, they supported me through like my choir activities and high school and they let me try different you know activities. And when I quit, they never gave me shit for it. Like, I never was put in piano or all those instrument classes, whatever, like, a lot of Asian kids were. Like, my mom literally was, like, so proud of me, and she'll go to all my concerts and never said anything negative about the things I wanted to participate in. And it makes me think of my grandma, too, because um, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, I was extremely close with her. And she's very blunt, a very blunt, tough love type of woman, but she's extremely like sweet and sensitive towards her grandchildren. And I think being the firstborn again, I got a lot of love from my grandma. And I remember I was back in Taiwan when I was like 10 and I had lice, which is super embarrassing because you're like, oh, I'm a kid with lice, you know. <laughs> and I remember like she would just like take me to all these different stores, like like trying to find like the right home remedy for my hair. And I remember sitting down with her and she was like trying to comb out the lice out of my hair. And she was saying to me, she was like, um, we got to get rid of this because you're such a beautiful young lady. I don't want people to see you otherwise. But I think it's like what you guys both said that like, it's really difficult for like Asian parents to express like affection, especially words of affirmation. And someone who's like of your grandparents generation to say that I'm like, her actions were like trying to help me fix this problem. And here mm-hmm. she is saying like, you were like, you're so beautiful and like kind of affirming me. It just mm-hmm. felt, it meant a lot because she's not the type to do that. And I think just looking back of my childhood, um, I would say overall that like um, I just had a very extremely loving and very supportive family um, growing up um, and I've always felt that even in my adulthood like I'm so proud to bring my friends back home because I think my family is super warm and loving and I, I could see how it plays a role in my current relationships 
because I think overall, like, I really, really value my friendships the most, and I love my family, but I think looking at my friendships, I feel like I'm so surrounded by, like, the same type of support and love and encouragement my family gave me growing up, and I feel this amongst, like, all my friend groups, not just one group, so I feel, like, very, like, sometimes I feel, I do, in the end, feel showered with the type of friendships I do have and love, um, and I'm in, in some ways, I'm, like, kind of attached to my friendships, um, in a weird way, because I don't have a boyfriend, uh, so whatever, <laughs> so I feel this type of way with my, with my friends, and I think also with that said, like, I do find it really difficult for myself to, like, develop new friendships, because I'd rather give my time to the people that have been there for me since day one, and provided me the same amount of love, so I think that's something I do struggle with, because of my secure attachment, I guess, um, mm. I guess really quickly, my second was anxious, which you all know me, I'm hella anxious. And I think Janet gave a good explanation of like, you know, like, you say one thing, you do the other, whatever. As much as as loving as my mom was, she was a tiger parent. And I remember she'd be like, oh, can you do this chore? Can you do that? And as I'm doing a chore, she'd be like, oh, don't forget to do that. And I'm just like, you're telling me one thing to do and then you want me to do something else. So I think I was pulled back and forth in that little way. When I think about my own, like, friendships and my my dynamics with my just everyone in general I like very clear like clean cut um expectations even relationships I'm just like what is this what does this mean because I think maybe at a young age my mom would kind of throw back and forth her directions and I'm just like okay what do you want and it kind of thinks makes me think about the working episode we did about like Helen's like I'm really annoyed about this question and I was like oh I wonder if this comes from my childhood because like I always like clarity Mm. because I didn't get that sometimes with direction as a child so, hmm. and I just thought about that um, for some reason. So those are my two. Uh... No, that's actually a really insightful like connection to see that that potentially could have affected or like that your behavior comes from this place of the relationship with uh, when you were younger. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Another season and I cried again. Sorry. <laughs> These past few months, I've had way too much screen time. I think I can speak for a lot of us when I say we're all pretty fatigued from staring at our screens, which is why I'm so thankful to have Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, businesses, and self-development. I've been using Audible a lot these past few months, and I'm currently listening to an audiobook called Reimagining Capitalism in a World on Fire. I was inspired to choose this one because of the state of the world that we're currently living in. The author, Henderson, provides compelling and practical solutions forward in a system that feels like it has lost its moral and ethical foundations. Definitely an intellectual and inspiring read. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus access to unlimited Audible originals each month, and access to daily news digests like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Explore all the ways listening on Audible can help improve mind, body, and soul with entertainment, information, and inspiration. Visit audible.com slash abg or text abg to 500-500. That's audible.com slash abg or text abg to 500-500. My skin has always run on the dry side, and just in the last couple of years, I've started paying attention to wrinkle prevention. Whether you're trying to take control of acne, fine lines, dark spots, occasional breakouts, or clogged pores, Curology will customize a prescription formula with three active ingredients picked for you to tackle your skincare needs. To get your treatment plan, start by answering questions online about your skin and sending in a couple of selfies. Curology then matches you with a licensed dermatology provider who gets to know your skin. And if it's a good fit, you'll receive a customized prescription cream to address your unique skin concerns. Even though I'm in my 30s, I still get occasional breakouts due to clogged pores. 
With the Curology Personalized Treatment Plan, I've noticed the product has helped to treat my acne as well as the complexion of my skin. Get a powerful skincare treatment made for you today. Go to Curology.com ABG for a free 30-day trial. Just pay for shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash A-B-G to unlock your free 30-day trial. See Curology.com for all the details. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Something else that I'm reading from the anxious preoccupied is that the person that tests um, for this type is usually desperate for a fantasy kind of love and looking for a partner to rescue or complete them. Helen's like, how how would both of you resonate (laughs) with that? I feel like that's to me that sounds very Mel only in the because she is a very like fantasy driven person. Yeah, I'll let you answer for yourself, Mel. But but also the second part of the question is the looking for a partner to rescue or complete them. I don't like the word complete someone because I feel sometimes like I don't believe that someone should complete you. I think they should be an equal partner to who you are. But the fantasy aspect, oh man, I definitely like play into that. Like I can't help in my, like, with, I don't know if it's my childhood, but like I actually don't know what it is, how this relates to my attachment style. But I'm constantly always fantasizing about like, oh, what if this and like. I think I will be a some. I am a type of person that might fall for the potential of someone versus the actual person, and I definitely mm. will acknowledge that. But I will say though, even though I did like I do, I don't think someone should complete you. There is a feeling of like, man, I really miss romantic connection and love, right? That's some, that's a feeling that I love you, ladies, but y'all not gonna. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to jump you. You know what I mean? Or like, or like those type of feelings. So, in some ways, I miss that, but I don't think I need it to complete me. Mm. Yeah, do you agree, Jay? What's interesting, when you said that you tend to fall for the potential of someone, and I know that they said this is a very common pattern for a lot of women. They look for the potential of men. I actually, that's one characteristic that I don't really 
feel I've done or like I don't I can't really relate to that Mm -hmm. um but I will say that like I think that when I was much younger before I started dating I my style probably was more on the avoidant dismissive side I feel like I was really not like an emotional person I didn't like letting people in I was really closed off and the first boyfriend that I had um was someone who was an incredibly emotionally like intelligent person and also just like loves talking and digging deep and so I think he started bringing that out of me and then when I developed a romantic relationship with him I think it was the first time that I really had been that mentally and emotionally intimate with a person Um, like I always had close friends growing up but I don't think that I ever knew that you could get to like a more intimate level um, until Mm -hmm. I started dating but what that did is I think that kind of set this false expectation for me that like all romantic relationships are going to be this like deeply connected and this like emotionally you know in line with each other and everything um I would say perhaps that characteristic of feeling like your partner is really like your other half and and that strong connection that expectation probably developed for me when I started dating because of that really critical experience as my first relationship but how about you, Helen? Do you feel like given your results, do you have you seen kind of patterns in your romantic relationships that reflect any of the characteristics? I feel like when I'm in a relationship and I think a lot of these questions were also geared towards like how open can you be with your significant other? For those, I, I said like very high. How afraid are you of them leaving you? I said pretty low. So in that respect, I, I do feel very secure in my relationships and I think I've felt that for all relationships I've had in the past and I'm not sure where that comes from maybe it does come from the the warmth and the love from family and Mm. and things like that but I think with that also comes this level of like independence or or I don't need you if you don't need me kind of a Mm, like mm. a sass like a little bit of sassiness I feel like um in my earlier relationships I would say there was probably more of a fear of a guy leaving me because when I was a teenager I was definitely more insecure about myself so I was probably more dismissive avoidant trying to, you know, hold up the wall so that my even my significant other I wouldn't share everything with um, versus now I share everything with because I'm like, you got to love me for me. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I've definitely seen I've seen my relationships change, but not as um, it, it hasn't been a significant change. It's more of like a growth kind of change and feeling more comfortable in my own skin. So for anxious preoccupied, um, it also says that sometimes they value intimacy to such an extent that they become overly dependent on the attachment figure. Do you, would you agree with that? And also, they often doubt their worth as a person and blame themselves for the attachment figure's lack of responsiveness. So I guess, for example, if your significant other started to get preoccupied with something else and started to focus on you less, would you start um, blaming yourself and your self-worth for that? Yeah. I would say for for me, like um, I can definitely see how in my earlier relationships that did come out, and I always attributed it to the fact that like I wasn't used to being emotional, and so the moment that like I have that connection with someone, it was almost like I wasn't really well equipped to handle my emotions. So I would get like, and I could recognize myself, like I acknowledge that I'm like you are like thinking too sensitively or you're, you know, whatever it is. I was like self-aware of it, but it was very hard for me to control. I wouldn't say that I would blame myself when interest waned or something happened, but it definitely affected my self-esteem. And I think it definitely Mm -hmm. like, I do have a little bit of a, uh, a, a, an issue or I guess like a thing with being chosen over or like having another girl be something or someone that is favored over me. And I was mm-hmm. never cheated on and never anything. It, 
it was actually so slight. It was like there was in my first relationship, the guy started talking to this other girl, even though we had already kind of started having like relationship issues. But like there was a small thing where he got closer to one of his girlfriends. And then in my second relationship, there was an issue where we were already dissolved, like we were already not doing so well. And then like we took a trip and uh, he, you know, was with the old friend that he had feelings for. And it was very clear to me that he had feelings for her. So these are all small instances that was like not a direct like negative thing that someone did to wrong me but because of those small experiences I have like that insecurity you know mm-hmm. Samel do you feel like you really like are intensely focused on intimacy and kind of depend on your partner for that I think considering the fact I don't have any intimacy <laughs> I think when I have relationships or like I'm in something with a guy I do crave it because I I feel like so deprived of it you know I mean the last two guys I've been with um I could see myself like uh wanting it a lot more like and but the last one I was with was a little bit more casual so it's kind of like harder yeah I think I got attached because I'm like oh I love receiving this type of love because I want it and crave it and then when things didn't work out it did definitely kind of shatter my self-esteem and I don't you both know about this because like I just started comparing myself a lot more and saying oh I'm the reason why or like oh like I'm not pretty enough that's why he doesn't want to be with me or like and it's hard when you already built up your confidence to be what it is. Because I did, I do think I grew up in a very secure environment. I'm like, wow, for me to question my worth and like, where, what the fuck is going on? I think for me, my thing is like, I really want to feel special. And that's my, that's my thing. And when I don't feel special, it makes me feel extremely unloved and not worthy enough for someone. And, and to some degrees, it's kind of, maybe that's why I play into my fantasy so much. Because I know with fantasy, I literally can direct what happens in my fantasy. In reality, mm-hmm. I can't. Another thing, I, as, as I'm reading the description for this behavior, it's, it says right here, the object relation is I can want but cannot have. And I think sometimes I do find myself wanting some wanting things or people that I probably can't. I don't, maybe DJ and I feel like I'm never going to be with because I don't think I'm good enough. Or I'm not of a certain status level that they would want or things like that. And then it also makes me think about when I actually do get in a relationship, I have this really weird feeling that I go through. I don't know if you two feel this way too, but it's really, I find it really rare when someone likes me. It's like very rare for me. And so in my two relationships in college, I like the push and pull a lot. It's like, oh, do you like me? Do you not? But once they say mm. they like me, I get afraid. I'm like, oh, I was like, wait, no. Mm. And then I kind of, I had this intense feeling of like, I don't want this anymore. And then it's something I have to work mm-hmm. through and then I fall deeper in. But it's just this feeling of like, <gasps> it's kind of maybe it's a fear. But, yeah. You know, I, I, know. I actually can, I can relate to that a lot. Um, I definitely notice that. And it's, I would never say I'm someone who likes the chase. Like I hate the chase and I hate the emotional roller coaster. But yeah. I spotted that pattern in myself too. Is that like, I oftentimes my feelings would sometimes depend on the other person's feelings. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's like not good, right? So I was like actively trying to work through that. But yeah, definitely recognize that same pattern. Yeah. Does it make sense, Helen? Yeah, no, it, it makes complete sense. But I think when, for me, my experience is like completely different. I feel like if someone were to like me, I'd be like, let's go! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, for your for your second test, did you also get similar results to your first one? Did you find anything interesting about your attachment style between your parents, partner, or friend? Um, nothing super surprising. I actually, um, so for general mother and friend, I got secure, like very secure. Which makes sense because um, I'm very connected with my mom. She's someone that I think when she hits the fan, I have no problem sharing my emotions with my mom. I think she's, I think I've learned that when I share my feelings, she's really there for me, and so mm. I learned to really rely on her and be dependent on her when I really need it into my adulthood, which is I, something I really appreciate. Um, for my dad, I thought about my stepdad. I got dim- dismissing and avoidant. 
Um, I think it's really harder for me to really share my emotions with my stepdad because I feel like he's also very introverted and very not very expressive. Um, but I know he's really loving, but it's hard for me to really like share. Also because there's like, a slight language barrier because my dad and I speak Mandarin versus my mom and I speak English with each other. So it's a little bit of also a, maybe a language thing. Um, and I think in general, though, I don't think it's because, like, for example, like, in my family, uh, my brother and my and myself, and my brother and I are both really close to my mom. My mom's the type to be like, what's going on with your life? She likes to dig deep with us, so we feel a little bit more comfortable sharing our feelings and what's going on versus my stepdad just, like, kind of goes with the flow with both of us. That's something I always tell my friends, like, oh, it's not because I'm this, like, he's my stepdad. He's like this with his own, like, his full-blooded sons. Mm-hmm. Like, we're the same. So I think it's just, like, a family thing that we, a dynamic that we kind of go through. Um, for romantic, I got preoccupied because I have no one in my life, so I had no results. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, everything else is, like, secure. Pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah. It kind of just really makes me cherish my relationship with my mother a lot more because I'm like, oh, it's nice to feel like she could go to me when she feels insecure. She actually goes to me when she feels a certain way, and then I go to her when I feel a certain way. So I think in a lot of ways, like, we kind of have this very unique mother-daughter relationship that I, I definitely, mm-hmm. like, would love to bring, you know, move, like, passed down to my children um because mm-hmm. i do feel i do feel very like safe with my mom you know she might annoy mm. me sometimes sorry mom <laughs> that's very sweet hi mama yeah. chang if you're listening <laughs> this one is for all of our cat people out there I grew up with a lot of close friends and family who had both cats and dogs, and I love both, but there is something about the independence of cats that really resonates with me. And though caring for them seems more low-maintenance than for dogs, you still have to deal with their litter boxes. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. The super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And it's virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a special de-dusting process. Pretty Litter arrives safely at your door in small, lightweight bags that last up to a month, and you can get the bags auto-shipped, and shipping is free. And the thing about Pretty Litter that my friend Sheila, who has had her cat Stella for over 10 years now, was really impressed by, is that it monitors your cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying health issues. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code ABG for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code ABG for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code ABG. Hi, ABGs and ABBs. We know that saving money is a pretty important value to many of you and are always happy when we can share a good deal, especially when it comes to something as necessary as mobile service. Mint Mobile offers an unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. That's an unlimited plan for only 30 bucks a month. How much is your current soon-to-be ex-wireless provider charging you? We love how they are innovating in the mobile business industry by going online only and eliminating traditional costs of retail, passing the significant cost savings on to you. We also appreciate the effort they put into making the setup process easy and clear with how-to videos that guide you through activating your service. All Mint Mobile plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. If you're not satisfied, Mint Mobile offers a 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 30 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash abg. That's mintmobile.com slash abg. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to 30 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash abg. 
Wearing a mask is something we should all be on board with right now, but it seems like every mask you find has its own setbacks. It doesn't fit right, the material is cheap, it gets dirty, it hurts my fragile ears, and the list goes on. As if finding a good mask for ourselves as adults isn't challenging enough, try finding a mask a kid will keep on. I know this has been a challenge for my sister and her kids. For all the parents out there, we're excited to share with you Crayola School Mask Pack. Each pack comes with five comfortable cloth masks, so your child has a fresh mask with a new, fun design every single day. All masks are built with a 3D design, a form-fitting nose wire, and adjustable ear straps. Their masks are machine washable and come with a mesh laundry bag for convenient cleaning and a calendar to track daily usage so you and your little ones can stay organized. As an added bonus, Crayola School Mask Pack will donate a portion of your purchase to a charity of your choice that supports kids who have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, like Donors Choose, No Kid Hungry, and Heart of America. For free shipping on your School Mask Pack order of any size, go to schoolmasspack.com abg and enter code abg. That's schoolmasspack.com abg, code abg. Do you ladies feel like your attachment style has changed at all from when you were a child to now? I will confidently say that it has not changed at all for me. I think I've always been like secure and anxious has always been a part of me. And that's something that's always been there. The reason why I say I didn't, I haven't changed much is because I think ever since I was really young, maybe this is a bad thing, but I'm always, I'm extremely trusting. I'm like, it's easy for me to trust people. So when I trust people easily, it's easy for me to be vulnerable with someone. And for me, I'd rather go vulnerable quickly so I could connect with you on a deeper level right away. And I think that's how I was able to develop a lot of my close friendships, you know, from high school to college. And I think this plays, I can see how that being, having a secure um, attachment plays into me just trusting easily. Um, Mm. Maybe some people might think that I'm a little too trusting or I am a little uh, naive, but hey, I got good relationships out of it. (laughs) Um, how about you Helen Um, for me I think I've become actually much more of the secure attachment type as an adult Um, just sort of reading through these different attachment styles I think in general the core of you kind of actually stays the same unless you have certain experiences that can like change your type Um, but I think I've become more secure Um, as a child or teenager I probably leaned more on the dismissive avoidant side because I think I, I like lived a lot in my own head, like had a lot of negative self thoughts, low self esteem. Um, I don't even know if I like really liked myself as a kid. Um, so I think that the avoidant dismissive came from me not wanting to get close to people, probably out of fear that they wouldn't like me if they knew the real me, which were essentially all the thoughts that were going on in my head. Right. Um, I, I, I remember like in third grade we used to stand in line. Uh, at the cafeteria once we finished our breakfast before filing into homeroom and very often I would write in my notebook I hope my friends are nice to me today like I really like them (laughs) and um, I mean they were my friends I think it's just because they had so much more swag and attitude than me (laughs) as a third grader and maybe I was fearful that they had like the power to leave me Mm. so I don't know why I think I have to like dig into this a little bit more but um, as a child, I definitely lived a lot in my own head and was fearful of, of people leaving me. And, and that mm. it, it's not at all related to my parents and how they mm. treated me. I think it's more just as a child um, going like those early relationships probably has actually impacted me as an adult now to mm. still have this like avoidant dismissive type, um, you know, sometimes in my gut. Oh, interesting. I was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, Helen, I'm like, don't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have the swag now? No. Uh, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> For me, I would say, yeah, I my memories of my childhood were, I've always felt really loved and secure. Um, so I think probably similar to Helen, like in the teenage years is when I would start to say, and probably less about family, more just like socially, um, that I also probably aired a little bit more on the like avoidant side, just like didn't really like to talk about my feelings. Um, I was also a really shy kid, so maybe that had something to do with it, just like fear of letting people in. Um, and then as I mentioned, I think it was when I started dating that that really changed. Um, and I could see how then, you know, getting really intimate and deep with someone and probably more so than is normal, and then having a couple of relationships after that or friendships after that that aren't quite hitting that same level probably caused me to be a little bit more anxious or lean into that aspect a little bit more. But I would say that like, that now having like gone through also modern day dating, like the anxious and preoccupied, I could see how modern day dating really like stokes that fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But because I think I've had multiple of those types of experiences with like less, I don't want to say important relationships, but I feel like I've been in a lot of these like, like quote unquote dating. So we're not in a committed relationship. We haven't defined it yet, but there is starting to develop some sort of like emotional connection or dependence. And once that happens, and I've had enough where I feel like it's not working out. Um, my expectations with relationships have started to like even out a little bit more. So I'm not like looking at my partner to be like the soulmate in this all that, you know, the, all that kind of thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I think when I read the like kind of secure attachment, like I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit more like thinking the practicality of how you're really going to work with an, an individual and how much you can really trust and rely on them versus mm-hmm. them trying to like complete your life and you know give you a fantasy life kind of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well for um so the fourth one that we didn't talk about just to round this out in case anyone's curious is the fearful avoidant or unclassified attachment um and actually they gave us percentages of on average how many people score which one so secure attachment was about 60 percent anxious preoccupied was about 15 dismissive avoidant is about 23 25 ish and fearful avoidant is about one to five percent so pretty small for anyone curious this type is demonstrated by those possessing an unstable fluctuating or unstable view of self and others and they tend to agree with the statement that i am somewhat uncomfortable getting close to others i want emotionally close relationships but i find it difficult to completely trust others or to depend on them um and these people are often confused and giving mixed signals or pushing away or craving attention and people with losses or other trauma such as sexual abuse in childhood and adolescence may often develop this type of attachment. It says this makes sense because they live in an environment where security and closeness are not guaranteed, and sometimes there is active harm coming from the person who should be taking care of them. Mm. So these mixed feelings lead to the fearful avoidant patterns of both reaching out and pulling away. Well, thank you ladies so much for sharing all of um, your results. I know that a lot of these discussions got really deep, um, and I know that we'll have more conversations that kind of touch on some of these things in the future. And for any of our listeners, we hope that you guys will also check out uh, the attachment styles tests and maybe talk about it with your friends as well. So to conclude this episode, you know, as a takeaway, I think it's important to know that you're not doomed by your attachment style. You know, your attachment style started as a toddler, and as an adult, you learn to cope and build upon it. And if you like to change your attachment style, it's important to understand your patterns. Like, do you tend to pull away from people or do you smother them? 
being honest with yourself in this theme of self-exploration is crucial. Yeah, and when you're able to change your attachment style, you form what researchers call an earned secure attachment, which means one, avoiding you know rocky relationships and frequent breakups, which will keep you as an anxious avoidant type. To believing in growth and that there is no such thing as a perfect relationship or partner, which will help to put more energy into the relationship than doubting it. And three, seeking secure partners, especially if you are an anxious or avoidant type. We have some partnerships that we are happy to share with you all, like Audible, School Mass Pack, Curology, and more. Look for links and codes summarized in our show notes, and for more partnership discounts, head to our website. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms. We are Asian Boss Girl. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a rating and review. And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can do so at anchor.fm slash slash support. We're also very active on social. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl, and you can also find us on YouTube, where we have been answering your listener-submitted questions on a new show called Dear ABG. It comes out every Sunday, so make sure you tune in. It's basically like our second podcast, but now you can put a face to our voices. Also, we are going to start giving out shout-outs at the end of each episode, so if your friend has a birthday coming up, just moved, got a promotion, a new baby, a new dog, whatever it is, and you know they listen to our podcast every Thursday, feel free to email us at shoutouts at asianbossgirl.com and we'll give them a shout-out. Again, that's shoutouts at asianbossgirl.com. And last but definitely not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all of her magic on our episodes, including this one. Catch you all in the next episode. Bye! Bye. <laughs>